Welcome in to another episode of the Esports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters. Today, I'm talking to Michal Bliharsh. He's better known as just Carmack. He's ESL's VP of Pro Gaming and has been in esports for the better part of two decades, with the last 11 years spent at ESL. Thanks for joining, Michal. Thank you for having me, and I'm very impressed. Uh, have you been practicing my first and last name? <laughs> How'd you know? Oh, I have been. It sounds way better than from most people, so congratulations. I actually had, so I was at a, a conference a few weeks ago where Paul Brewer, who was uh, on this podcast recently, is also at ESL, and I came up to him and was like, just just run this over with me in person a few times. Michal Bliharj, and he's like, Bliharj, like just, we ran over it a couple times. So yes, we did, it was a little bit of practice going into it, because uh, I knew I was talking to you for a while, so I had to make sure I had that right. I'm going to have to give Paul props for being a good teacher. It's <laughs> great. So I think your title as VP of Pro Gaming doesn't truly encapsulate everything you do for the company and for the CS scene at large. You know, when the regional Polish government last weekend prevented the audience in IEM Katowice from attending the event due to concerns about the coronavirus, you were the one that the casters explaining that process to the audience. We're clearly going to cover that. But first, how do you see your role within ESL and with the Counter-Strike community? Oh, it's complicated. Um, technically, I these days I uh, I am one of the main designers of our ecosystem. So, uh, the ESL Pro Tour, uh, the the construct was designed by a group of people, but I was ultimately, uh, let's say, the 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 guy that gave it shape. <clears throat> um, and honestly, ever since I moved back from the U.S., when I was uh, fully in charge of Intel Extreme Masters, um, I am still, to a degree, involved in Intel Extreme Masters, but more now uh, uh, being in Poland, away from the headquarters, I am more on the design side of things rather than on the actual execution side of things these days. But it's, it's huh, I'm a special projects person, let's call it uh, like that today. Uh, when it comes to my position in the Counter-Strike community, I have absolutely no idea. You have to, you have to ask people in the Counter-Strike community. Um, I, just, I just try to uh, make sure that ESL is a positive player in the esports landscape. Uh, many people do try to make sure of that. I mean, it's not, very, uh, it's not a very unique, let's say, set of... Uh, not a unique guiding star or, any, or anything like that. But um, I have to say that the, the question about my role in the company is, is probably one of the hardest ones just because I, I do multiple tiny little different things um, and, and you can't just boil it down to three bullet points and a job title. Yeah, that's uh, that's why I like to ask that question, because I think for a lot of people in esports, especially for someone who's been in esports for so long, you've been doing so many different things and you've worn so many different hats that just being like, oh, you're the VP of pro gaming doesn't quite give an accurate idea of uh, what you really do on a day to day basis. So I see you sort of as the public face of ESL to the Counter-Strike community in so many ways. Uh, and I think that's how a lot of people see you. It's, you know, I got a couple of texts, right, that, uh, you know, Carback is talking to the audience right now. And I was like, oh, get on Twitch, get on Twitch, get on Twitch uh, to, to go check it out, the the event and what was happening. So I think that's mm -hmm. uh, a big part of your role is like you're 
the uh, the public face of the company and the public face of CS as ESL drives CS in so many ways. Uh, to a degree, I think that's correct. So I want to talk about Counter-Strike, but first I have a big question to pose to you. You've been in esports since I think 2001 uh, when you first edited a, an esports publication. And CS has been out for 20 years in various forms. I think February 2020 may have been the craziest month in CS history. Now, I can run through the things real quick, but I'm curious what if you agree or not. So IEM Catavisa closes off audience due to the coronavirus. Obviously, a massive story. The mm-hmm. event breaks viewership records. Over 1 million people watch the grand finals. Mm-hmm. Uh, we might have a new best team in the world. Going to ask you about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Valorant teaser appears, which is a game that most similarly resembles CS, at least in the economy system. Mm-hmm. Uh, ESL Pro League announced with 13 teams in direct competition to another major league in Flashpoint, backed by Cloud9 and Gen G. And even HLTV just acquired for a lot of money. So with all those different things, do you think February 2020 was the most crazy month in CS's 20-year history? Nah, I mean, many different things happen and, and, and many can be, uh, let's say... Uh, milestones, for example, I would say that the craziest uh, time in in CS:GO history was when uh, the first major happened, uh, just because it was so game changing, and, and it has had such a lifting effect on on the entire CS:GO industry. Whereas you know, uh, leagues have been uh, leagues or competitions have been set up and 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 died uh, in the space of several years so uh, you know on the on the, in the grand scheme of things i think the introduc- introduction of the majors with no disrespect to anyone involved in any of the things you've mentioned uh, okay. but the introduction of the majors probably was certainly for csgo um, one of the biggest things however it is true that february has been very very eventful that's why I had to ask, because uh, with somebody who's been in the, the scene for so long, I'm sure there are so many milestones along the way and things that you then look back on and are like, wow, what that was an insane moment in CS's history and it changed everything from the years coming on. So that's how I had to ask to set up all those different things I want to ask you about. Uh, but it's interesting that it's not the number one most insane for my time in esports it's definitely the most insane but cs had already been a well-established esport when i got into the scene yeah i mean if you if you coming back a little bit and i know you probably want to ask about more current things but uh back when the first major happened uh there was not a lot of uh there were not a lot of tournaments happening uh, there were not a lot of tournaments with very big prize money. $250,000 at the time was really shocking in terms of uh, the, the amount. Uh, most people initially thought, oh, wow, this is this is a lot of money. Um, and it really spurred competition, uh, competition to uh, produce uh, events at a higher uh, level of quality. Uh, competition to win a major because it was uh, kind of like a pat on the back uh, as a, as recognition that you're one of the top organizers in the space. And it's really, really uh, pulled everyone up in terms of how uh, what the standard is of delivering a CSGO tournament. So 
it has a, it's had a monumental effect uh, on the CSGO uh, landscape that we see today. Yeah, and a monumental effect on esports in general and how esports events are viewed in, in so many cases. So I want to run through a lot of these different things that we brought up. And first, let's address the elephant in the room. I'm sure you're probably getting a little tired of talking about it. IEM Katowice closes off the audience uh, due to concerns from the local or the regional government about the coronavirus. Can you give us the timeline of how that day played out? I know you said that they'd confirmed that you still had the license earlier in the day and then uh, it goes away. How did the, how did the timeline play out? Uh, in the run-up to that event? Well, um, let me think. Uh, so overall, I mean, to really tell the story, you have to go to the start of February uh, because that's when we started thinking of uh, coronavirus and, and, and inst- installed a task force to just make sure that we are uh, all buttoned up and ready for it. Um, so uh, since then, there were daily meetings and uh, all the while we were uh, talking to all sorts of, uh, you know, officials to to make sure that our license to run a public event is is still uh, is still valid to maintain that license. Uh, and uh, ESL Poland, the ESL Poland office, which is uh, the stakeholder on our side that talks to the city and the government, um, had several meetings uh, showed and reported what we've done uh, and what we've done was you know extensively check the route of every person that we invited or otherwise brought to the event uh, so press uh, players teams uh, etc uh, and should those people come from uh, high-risk areas then they would have to go through a health check, mandatory health check, and they would have to bring a writ from a doctor saying, "Hey, uh, this person is healthy." Basically, um, and we've we've done a lot of things to prepare, a lot of things to make sure that uh, the, the safety level uh, is increased. Um, and almost every day, we were getting an assurance: "Okay, this is good. You'll be fine. Uh, this is good. You'll be fine." Um, and then at the 11th hour at 7.45, uh, we, we had a courier bring uh, a letter from the local uh, Voivod ship, which is essentially a Voivod ship in Poland is, is one of the 16 regions that Poland is divided into. And the head of that region essentially made a decision to uh, force us to close our doors on uh, on the audience. Uh, before that, I mean, there were a couple of meetings, and it looked a little bit like a, like in a movie, uh, honestly, because we were sitting in a room discussing uh, scenarios, drafting uh, potential messages in case we got the bad news, or uh, you know, depending on the degrees of 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 the the news that would come. And we were sitting there, and and uh, it really was like in a in a in a movie scene. Um, until we got a call and, and suddenly we were told, okay, this is fine. You'll be fine. You'll be okay. And we didn't expect any, any follow-up from that. And then 7.45, the paper, uh, got served and, and, uh, I, I was honestly in shock for maybe about two hours. 
um, we were sitting there in the room, really quickly parceled out who's responsible for what, who's going to take care of talking to our sponsors, partners, exhibitors, who's going to take care of figuring out what happens now with the tickets. And to be fair, it wasn't, you know, like uh, no work had been done until then, but it's just a completely brand new shocking situation when you actually get the news. Uh, It's a little bit like, you know, thinking of bungee jumping and then actually bungee jumping are two different things. Um, So basically stakeholders were uh, given their tasks and, 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 and went to work. And one of my tasks was to uh, go and tell our audience the bad news and it was actually quite quite hard i can only imagine how difficult that is with so many people who have probably traveled to poland from around the world and uh to be told that hey you you can't attend that event so what did you do for the people that had traveled there during the event was there was there other places for them to set up to watch the competition how did you uh, make their trip to Poland still uh, have some positive CSGO experiences? I mean, what we did was, in one, in two words, not enough, I would say, because if you've traveled from California to uh, Katowice and then you saw the venue from the outside, uh, clearly that's much less than you were hoping to to get. Um, and, and let's get a couple of facts straight here. Uh, sure, we came out and we... Uh, you know, we tried to talk to people, say thank you uh, in in the places where they congregated, bring out some, uh, bring out some goodies, t-shirts, mouse pads, uh, uh, tokens from the event, and so on. But that's really, really um, not a lot. Um, and most of the work for the people that visited was done by the local community of of gamers. Um, and there were discord channels bit made just just you know for meetups just to figure out hey where do i watch uh if it's starcraft where do i watch it if it's cs where's a cool place to go where's a cool place to eat where's a cool place to see uh, and all of these things uh it was mainly the community taking matters into their own hands and and figuring things out for themselves and uh, you know i i said it once or twice in in interviews uh at the event, but, um, you know, you, you go to Katowice, Katowice is that kind of event. You go there, uh, because of a promise that you're going to be in Spodek and you're going to, uh, forge a memory together with thousands of other people watching the world's best gamers play. And you're going to take that memory home with you and, and you're going to cherish it and you're going to tell it to your friends, maybe to your children and maybe someday to your grandchildren. Uh, and we couldn't give it to people. Um, it's as, it's as simple as that. Um, but people figured it out on their own, so to speak, and, and most likely also made amazing memories that were probably not what they signed up for, but no less valuable, I hope, um, it's a, it's such a brutal situation and there's really no proper way of handling especially when that decision comes in the 11th hour and you don't have you know if it's a week before the event suddenly then you can maybe plan out some other stuff but 7:45 the day before the event begins there's no way of orchestrating all of that uh so i i know you've talked this to into the ground and i'm sure everybody has read plenty of stories about it so i want to move on to some of the other topics as well but i appreciate you 
uh, running through that event just because that's such a challenging situation and it's something that we're going to see in events uh, continuing throughout the summer with even the Olympics right now in uh, major peril. So you're certainly not going to be the last major event to have to deal with these issues. Well, you're quite the optimist there, Mitch. Yeah, it's uh, it's not not great right now. I mean, I'm in I'm in Vegas. I'm sort of expecting Evo cancel. We've seen GDC canceled recently. It's just not a. Uh, it's just too dangerous right now worldwide to to have these sorts of events. But yeah, hopefully, it's, a, it's, it's all a, figured out soon. That's that's the hope. It's a very um, difficult, very tricky time. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, there there's no good there's no good solution in that. You want the event to run as normal, but it's also the health risk is is too great. So looking at the event, despite all this, and maybe because of some of the massive press around this, CSGO IEM Catavice sees absurd viewership. Over 1 million people watched the grand finals. And there are exactly two esports in the world that have seen uh, viewership records break uh, a decade or so after the game's been released. I think it's eight years for, for CSGO. What does this say for the future of CS as an esport, and how has the game continued to grow and gain popularity when we've seen so many games uh, start fading away after they reach a certain popularity point? Well, I think I think we've gone to a point in esports where, uh, when when I start, certainly started in esports, games would be released on a shelf, you know, in a box. You have to buy them, you play them, and and the community basically would only shrink from there. You know, the initial pool of people. Uh, that bought the game in the first, I don't know, three to six months would then basically cap the game at a certain level and then it would just shrink. Uh, however, with with CSGO and CSGO going uh, free to play, that cap isn't doesn't apply anymore. Just like, you know, it doesn't apply with League of Legends, for example, where the game can continue to bring in new people um, to, you know, new players that would replace any players that would uh, potentially uh, leave the scene. So uh, for that reason, Counter-Strike seems to be growing. Uh, it's uh, recorded probably its highest peak of players. And for a non-major event, it's recorded an insane viewership for the grand final, especially taking into account the fact that the grand final was so one-sided and such a stomp. Uh, typically matches, uh, you know, if if you're imagining a match that would break a record, that usually involves, um, you know, epic overtimes and, and insane battles. But this was just a, you know, G bluntly put, G2 seemed to have not showed up for that final. Uh, and yet the record was broken. So I feel like it, we're in an actually very good place with CSGO. Um I feel like uh, there are signs that it's going, it's going places. Uh, certainly, the fact that a, a non-major event broke uh, broke into the group of majors for the highest viewership is is indicative of the fact that not all is doom and gloom, as some people might want to have you believe. Well, yeah, if you only pay attention to Twitter and Reddit, every single esport in the world is dying. So it's. Uh... <laughs> Best not to focus on that. So you bring up the actual results, and it wasn't a pretty insane weekend that I don't think anybody really predicted going into it. So you have Navi, they beat G2 uh, and just pretty much decimate them. But actually, G2 
put up more of a fight, at least in that second map, than Astralis did. The world number one and consensus top team in the world got stomped 16-5, 16-5 in the semifinals. Is Na'Vi the best team in the world, or does that still Astralis' spot? HLTV jumped them from 6-2, to two, just four points behind Astralis. Uh, with that massive head-to-head win, do you think they have a case to be the best team in the world right now? Certainly this this uh, last week and maybe this week until the next event. Uh, but in order to be truly great, you have to show it over time. You can't just do it once uh, because that's that's just not enough. However, they do have great credentials to, uh, you know, that lead a lot of people to expect that they are the new number one. Certainly because they uh, gave such a battering to the current number one in the semi-final and they continued to really dominate in the grand final. So when they actually caught their form, they were completely and utterly unstoppable. And, and it's not like Astralis was crawling to that semi-final. They really played excellent, excellent Counter-Strike all the way up until meeting Na'Vi. Uh, but you have to also take, take into account Na'Vi didn't win all their games in in the groups so they got in uh they got in and they had to play the first round of playoffs whereas astralis was seeded directly into um uh, they were seeded directly into the top four um so it's not like navi played an immaculate tournament it's just that they became that bulldozer bulldozer towards the end and the reason i think people are talking about navi perhaps being number one is is twofold number one they have simple who's hands down the best player in the world if you ask most people and number two i think it's the dominant fashion in which they've ended the event with the semi-final and the final uh really really steamrolling both uh, astralis uh, who are the number one in the world and g2 who are doing excellently and up until that point but again, you have to do it over time. Uh, otherwise, it, it doesn't work. But if you notice, uh, Mouse Sports winning multiple events in a row didn't really uh, elicit that kind of response from people. Mm-hmm. Um, probably because it, it wasn't, you know, the, the victories were not as dominant. Um, and maybe because Katowice is also an ESL Pro Tour Masters Championship event, uh, meaning that at least in, within the ESL world, it's it's more important than uh, practically every other event. Uh, if you, dating back to maybe ESL and Cologne, so um, this is a big victory for Navi. But uh, I'm waiting to see them confirm that uh, form in the ESL Pro League in Malta. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm about to talk about the ESL Pro League as well. I I do think Canavise operates in this weird, it's not a major, but it has uh, some history, something surrounding it that really pushes it above some of the other tournaments. I think if you uh, ask people if it's a major, you get a lot of yeses, uh, just because every year it's so looked forward to and... uh, I don't know. I, I think there's something special about Katowice every every single year. And so I think that's definitely helped as you bring up the Mouse esports example. If Mouse had done it at Katowice, eh, maybe it, they would have uh, seen more publicity come to it. But it's a really interesting case study. And you mentioned NV just to, to bring up the group stages. They lost to Fnatic in the groups and they dropped the map 
to FaZe, who are both objectively uh, worse teams probably than definitely Astralis and probably G2. So it was a little bit out of nowhere in the in the finals there. Yeah. You mentioned the ESL Pro League announced with 13 teams, uh, all of the best teams in the world, basically. Astralis, NV, G2, Liquid, EG, FaZe, Fnatic. Uh, you know, I, I, the list keeps going on. Made in Brazil. Um, so Not made in Brazil. Not made in Brazil. My bad. They're in uh, Flashpoint, which I want to ask you about. Yep, that's correct. Uh, so why now? What what is what was the spurn for this new league creation, and why was it important to for ESL to to formalize this this new league a little bit? Well, I think I think there's there's multiple reasons overall, but uh, we've we've always maintained or tried to maintain a good positive dialogue with the world's top teams. Um, and the world's top teams, uh, as you see with the example of Flashpoint or PEA, which is essentially Flashpoint, but a couple of years earlier attempted, um, they do have a yearning, they do have a desire to, to create a league where there is stability for them um, and where there, there is less of a worry and they can build sustainably for the future because uh, some of the the business end of the league is much more predictable than it has been before. So that was, uh, let's say, the driving let's let's call it business idea before be, behind a league like this. And this was the same idea that led to the franchising, uh, as as it's commonly called um, in in the Riot leagues, uh, LEC and LCS. Uh, or Overwatch League as well. So the teams typically do enjoy that as it also enables them to more easily find investor money and things like that simply because it's difficult to say, oh, well, you won this event and you got second at this event. What what guarantees do I have that I'll keep seeing you guys in those events, right? That's what a, a investor might say. But if you show them, hey, I'm going to play in this uh, in in this league for the next number of years or forever or you know something like that, then uh, it's it's much less of a risky bargain there. Um, so there is that the ability for teams to commit to to a league for a, a extended period of time is also something that allows us to create a very different kind of show compared to most other events because. Um, an event like, you know, a week event, a week-long event, uh, like a regular ESL Pro Masters tournament shines very brightly, but for a short amount of time, whereas the ESL Pro League is a, is a multiple-week thing uh, where the story unfolds slowly and the ramp-up is actually slower and, and more uh, appealing in many ways because it, you know... Uh, Let's face it. If you're working, uh, you probably couldn't watch the you know every game of Intel Extreme Masters Katowice. Um, you'd have to take time off to enjoy the entire event. Whereas with Pro League, you can probably enjoy the majority of games or a lot more of the content. Let's say, um, and it's stretched over time. So it's you know your appetite for the grand final is is built up over time, and it's it's very very different. 
um, at ESL we're kind of similar to Valve, I would say, where between uh, Dota and CS:GO they they uh, practice uh, sol trying to solve similar problems very very different ways. Um, this is just to uh, just to get a diversity of different approaches that uh, allows Valve then to to learn much more quickly. And uh, at ESL, there are people who um, are pretty staunch advocates for for the league um, format. People who are pretty staunch advocates for a circuit format. Uh, but we can't conclusively say that one is better than the other, or if one and the other can coexist. And therefore, I think it's a very good thing that we're trying multiple different approaches to making uh, CS work and to pleasing the fans. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. And I think the execution of it uh, has a lot of promise. I was talking to, to Paul, who mentioned on the top of the podcast, and he said it's sort of taking the best of both worlds from the franchise system and from the third-party tournament system that ESL has been a driver of for so long. What is that? Uh, what are you taking from franchise, and then what are you taking from the third-party system that the franchise leagues aren't doing that you're still including in the ESL Pro League? Well, the the biggest the biggest thing about the ESL Pro League is that we still want it to be open in the sense that. Uh, we can point to the league and say, this is where you want to end up being as a team uh, or as a player. And you can, these are the steps, A, B, C, D, E, F, to climb to, to, to that league and play in it. So uh, the league is constructed in a way and has to be constructed like that. Um, in, a, in a system where this league isn't the only competition in the world, there are going to be other competitions uh, where... Uh, new top teams are going to be formed and new top teams are going to rise. So if a league were to be completely closed with time, over time, actually new top teams would rise and there would be more and more, you know, let's call it top 10, top 20 teams that do not play in the league if there's no way to enter the league because over time that's we've seen that happen uh, as teams, you know, were on the very top, then they kind of uh, went down a little bit and some other teams uh, replaced them and so on and so forth. So a league like ESL Pro League has to remain open uh, where teams and players can fight their way up. Um, and the, the group of teams that are partner teams to the Pro League can also change its uh, makeup if there are teams that are consistently not delivering the right quality uh, to the table, then they can get voted out by uh, the other members. And likewise, if there is a team that is really, really doing extremely well um, and delivers quality and everybody would uh, be on board with having them as a partner, they can become a partner of the league. But uh, we've always maintained that we want the league to be uh, to a degree open to all teams simply because um, that's part of that promise that anyone can become a superstar in esports. It's an important caveat and something that esports was so well known for, and it gets to the European sports model a little bit, how teams can enter and leave something like the Premier League, where in the American sports model, it's very closed circuit. There's no, unless there's an expansion city, there's no uh, promotion and relegation in American sports leagues. So it's a interesting division on the two uh 
the two different regions and the way they run sports leagues right now. So you mentioned we've talked about Flashpoint a little bit. And for people that have missed this other league, it's backed by Faceit. Uh, it's got led by casters mostly in the public space and Monte Cristo and Thorin. Uh, it's got some good teams, but not great teams, I would say. I mentioned Made in Brazil earlier, uh, Cloud9, Gen G, Mad Lions. They're mostly teams in the 15 to 25 range in the world rankings. Uh, Michal, are these leagues forced to be in competition with one another, with one coming out on top? Or can Flashpoint and the ESL Pro League exist in the same ecosystem and play off of each other? Or is it always going to be sort of a head-to-head nature with the two leagues? Well, from our perspective, from our end, we're just running a tournament and we want it to be as good as we can make it. Um, And I would say I've learned this a long time ago back in my previous life when I was in competitive judo. You can only control your own performance. You can't control your opponent's performance or anyone else's performance. So just focus on that. So. Uh, when I look at it, I just focus on our own performance, make sure that we have uh, the best product that we can have, the best broadcast that we can have, um, and the best story that we can have. Um, and I don't worry about anything else, to be honest, because it's not something that I can influence anyway. So why worry about the rain if it's falling? Uh, or why worry about anything, for that matter, if you cannot influence it? Um so from that perspective, my uh, my answer would be I don't really care. We're just going to do our thing. Um, however, I mean, it's we, we've had tournaments in the past that happened practically sometimes at the same weekend, and and it seems it seems to not have uh, killed anyone uh, or not have injured anyone to the degree that it would make you know, to a very big splash or, or something like that. So um, I think tournaments can coexist as long as they deliver value and as long as there are fans wanting to watch them. Um, why wouldn't they? So just as, as simple as that. And, and as the majors have shown, something I was speaking to earlier, um, if there is competition, if people have good ideas that don't happen to be your ideas, um, it's a good, it's a good signal to, to learn, to improve and to do better and compete. And, uh, at the end of the day, the, uh, the fans will win because it's competition. If it is competition, indeed. Definitely. I, I think that's the, the great point there is that it, if Flashpoint does something that's awesome, it's good for the CSC as a whole. They also, are going to take a lot from what ESL has done in the creation of their league. And uh, as they, I keep saying league tournament series is what I should be saying, because neither of them are, are leagues, they're tournaments and they're open. Uh, But that's just a brain thing that I have to work out. I've said league every single time. Uh, So I think one other thing to your point, as you mentioned about how you just need to do what you can do and just focus on yourself. That's definitely a, because ESL comes from a position of power a little bit here. They have almost all the best teams in the world. They have the long-standing history. I feel like if you ask, and I have talked to people at Flashpoint, uh, Dan Feiden and Kent Wakeford, and they're definitely gunning for ESL a little bit because they're a startup league. Uh, They want to take market share. They want to take teams away from the ESL Pro League. So definitely uh, operating from position of strength, I think, as, as this league begins. 
uh, and we'll see. be interesting to see how it develops over the years. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to the teams, uh, we've obviously, we have a product that's very strong, that has had very good viewership year on year, that's ha- that has improved year on year. Um, so ESL Pro League is a known quantity and it's one of the most prestigious trophies to win. Uh, so I'm not too surprised that a lot of the world's best teams have chosen to uh, to continue playing in it and hopefully uh, we don't fail anyone and it continues to be a fantastic product and everything that I'm seeing seems to point in the direction that it will be. Um, there's nothing more to say about that. <laughs> Absolutely. And I know you have to go here soon. It's getting late uh, for you where you're at. I appreciate you taking the time this evening. Final thing I want to ask you about, and I know we don't have a ton to say about it right now, uh, Valorant teaser appears. Everyone goes absolutely bonkers. Uh, it's a game that seems like a mix of CS and Overwatch, uh, most notably taking the economy system from mm-hmm. Counter-Strike. Uh, pros from just about every single FPS esport are talking about the title from Fortnite to Rainbow Six to CS to Call of Duty. Threat to CS in any way? Or is CS long-standing history always going to keep it as an important esport and then valorant may exist as just a a side on or do you think that they the two games eventually compete at some point uh for pros and for viewership in the fps uh, and strategy fps space i think what's going to happen and it's typical in in the esports space with with new games with brand new games certainly we saw that with starcraft 2 for example which kind of uh which kind of took the player base from Brood War and took the player base from Warcraft 3. Um, and then some, let's say, after a year or two, some native StarCraft 2 players sprung up. Um, I think the same would be with this game, where in the beginning, some of the people that tried to ply their trade uh, in Counter-Strike and for one reason or another uh, ended up not being on the top teams at the end of, uh, you know, uh, at the end of t- 2020, some people that tried Overwatch and and didn't end up on being on top teams, but uh, all those players having really you know top skill sets as players and maybe great names, I can imagine a, a large number of new teams forming or new lineups forming, featuring those uh, top pros from other games, just based on the sheer. Uh, you know, promise that you're going to get a, a certain result based on based on who those people are and, and, and a strong, solid basis to evolve and build from. Um, but after one or two years, I actually expect more and more, uh, let's say, native Valorant players to shine through uh, that you haven't heard of in, in other games, be it Overwatch or Counter-Strike, um, and really... Uh, really become superstars uh, that uh, really become superstars that can define the way that game is played. And I actually uh, think that not a lot of those people that were uh, decent but not amazing pros at Counter-Strike or, or, or Overwatch, I don't think many of them will uh, will still be playing in, in the top teams uh, two years into the Valorant life cycle. Um, when it comes to the casual players, I think a degree of those not extremely committed players uh, may choose to switch to Valorant. 
from from any game out there. But um, I think if you spent years and years trying to become amazing at uh, this one game that you love, you're not gonna give up all that you've learned and all that you've grown to love so easily. So I don't think I don't think uh, Valorant is a threat to um, any other game title in that it will you know take away most of its player base or anything like that. I think the the top games out there are here to stay, but I really do hope Valorant becomes big because that's ultimately very good for esports. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you there. And, and there's no shortage of people playing games and pros who want to compete in games. So this idea that there's a uh, set pool of total esports players and they jump from game to game may have been more true in the earlier days of esports. But definitely now, as, as you mentioned, we're going to see a lot of native players and people we've never heard of come up in the Valorant scene, just like we saw in Overwatch a few years ago. Some of those uh, guys mm -hmm. had history in, in esports, but many of them were virtually unknown. And then uh, Overwatch League happens and they become major pros. So I, I definitely expect something similar like that to happen in Valorant. Thank you so much for joining this podcast, Michal. This was just an awesome conversation. I appreciate you touching on this wide variety of topics. Uh, you're the ESL VP of Pro Gaming. Where can uh, people check out more CS content? What do you want to plug right now uh, to our listeners? Yeah, nothing. Uh, if, they, if they like me, they can follow me on Twitter or whatever. If they know ESL and like ESL, they can do that. But I don't want to plug anything. I just, I'm, I'm here to answer questions. That's it. Well, that's refreshing. We appreciate that. He's at MB Carmack on Twitter. Follow him there, and I'm sure you all know how to watch Counter-Strike. I think that's probably something you figured out at this point. So thank you very much for listening to this podcast. We have some other shows coming up. This is published on Wednesday. Be on tune for Friday for a conversation with a former NFL player who is now uh, talks about how people played Madden in the league and how he used Madden to learn more about esports. Thank you all for listening to this Esports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters.